Hey, y'all. It's good to be back. I normally I don't just start off like that, but it, it's, it's good to be back after a week of vacation. Some of you are like, what? I didn't even know you were gone. <laughs> and I'm totally, totally secure, uh, secure in that. We got to spend some time camping and fishing. You should see, I got some, I got some fish stories. First, first fish I caught uh, on the Chesapeake Bay was a spot, and it was this big. And you might be wondering, like, how in the world did you catch that? So I popped it, snagged it right through the gill, you know? <laughs> it was, the hook was too big to, to catch it. And so, uh, but that was fun, catch and release, catch and release. Uh, but, it, but it was good times and it was great, great to, be, to, to be away. Hey, let me ask you a question. So first, first thing back, here's, here's my question. Do you have an internal dialogue? Last year, I found out that not everybody does. Do you know this? And some of you are thinking to yourself, do I have an internal dialogue, you know, thought bubble, you know. <laughs> not everybody, apparently not everybody has a thought bubble. Did you know that? I, I've been doing some reading and research on that, and I was just fascinated to find this out. Now, most people do to some degree. Some people have like an ongoing narration that's happening the whole time. Then I, I, I wouldn't be down with that. Like I'm, I'm not necessarily looking for that. I wouldn't want to hear my own voice constantly and incessantly, but I do talk to myself. And that might sound weird, but it's pretty normal for most of us. We have, have this internal dialogue, but some people don't at all, and they only think in terms of emotions and pictures, images in their head, and in order to, to get their thoughts out, they actually have to verbalize them. So they have to articulate those things. And I find that fast, if, if that's you, if you're thinking right now and all, you know, you're thinking in, in images and stuff, I would love to talk with you after service because I'm just fascinated about that and thinking about that. Because sometimes I, I can see pros and cons with both of those things. So the pro is, is that, you, you know, you kind of articulate your thought in your head before, before you say that. I mean, I, I do that a lot. I really do try to do that, although I stick my foot in my mouth plenty of times. Uh, but I could also see some, uh, some, some pros to not being able to, to do that because there are some thoughts that go on in my head that are just not very welcome. Like some of you that have that internal monologue, monologue or that dialogue with yourself, you, you know what I'm talking about. It's like, Rob, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did that. Or I can't believe you said that. Or Rob, you're, you're not good enough. Like you, you know that. Like what are you, even, what are you even thinking? What are you trying to do? And, and the, you know, it ranges through that. Some of you know exactly, exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes it gets really distracting because even sometimes I can be up here preaching and I will have a thought. Does that sound weird? To, does anybody do that? You can be talking and have a thought that's kind of distracting you in the back, the back of your head. Right, and so that happens, and you got to try to stay stay on point. But whether it's an inner voice or an ongoing narration or emotions and images, our internal thought life it impacts our external action life, and that's an incredibly important arena in which we wrestle with God, and sometimes we wrestle with with ourselves. And here here's the thing that that we've got to remember that that we hold on to when, when this happens. Just because we think something, like just because you think something, doesn't mean that it's something that you should believe. Because sometimes like that, that is not the current cultural advice of the day. Today, it's the, the cultural wisdom of today is, hey, if you think, if you feel it, then you need to take it and run with it. Like that's, that's your thing, that's your truth, that's your reality, and you need to deal with it. But that, that echo chamber that we have inside of our minds, sometimes that leads us further away from the truth rather than toward it. We always have to be considering the source and where those thoughts and where those feelings come from. Like in our inner thought life, is your inner thought life dominated by what you think? Or is it dominated by what God thinks? 
Is it dominated by what you have to say about yourself and about your life, or is it dominated by what God has to say about you and about your life? There's an amazing balance to be found there. For example, for those that need humility, following the way of Jesus will humble. But for those that who need strength, following the way of Jesus will strengthen. Sometimes our wrestle with God feels like muscling ourselves out of the way so that we can actually contend with what God has to say to us or who God is in our life. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy and God is trying to get through to us when we won't let ourselves go. And so this morning as we're continuing our Wrestle with God series, we're going to be looking at a man named Elijah and specifically at a time in his life in 1 Kings chapter 19. So if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to that. We're not going to read every verse that's in that chapter. And so you might want to skim through and skip through and kind of read, uh, read some things that are going on. And we reach Elijah at this point in his life where he has reached the pinnacle of success. Elijah is a prophet. He is tasked with being a spiritual compass to the people of God in Israel. And it was one of the worst times to have that job. The king of the day was considered to be the worst king that Israel had ever had up to that point. And it wasn't just him. It wasn't just King Ahab. It was also his wife, Jezebel. Jezebel. She was a problem. In fact, like you hear that word and, and maybe... Uh, maybe of a certain generation, you know, we, we've heard people say, oh, that person is a Jezebel, you know, because we use that, uh, use that as a, a condemnation because of who Jezebel is and how she lived her life. And she never should have been a part of the equation. She was married uh, to Ahab as part of a political, um, you know, foreign policy decision. It brought economic stability and peace between the nations, but it also brought about idol worship. And so Baal, if you're familiar with that and have heard that in the Old Testament, read that through through the Old Testament, Jezebel was a part of bringing that and introducing Baal worship and Asherah worship into uh, the history of Israel. And the pinnacle of success for Elijah in in this, well, any prophet for that matter, is, is to never be wrong when it comes to speaking a message about God. So if you hear about, if you hear about people making predictions or prophesying or you know, talking about the future, those, those kinds of things, this is, not, this is not what prophecy is in scripture. That's not what it's about at all. And, and sometimes we hear about people who are like, oh, I know the date when Jesus comes back, or I know the date when you know, somebody else is gonna come back into office or whatever those things might be. When you hear those kinds of things, you know that people are off. And every time that a prophet is wrong, there's one thing you're supposed to do with them. You know what it is? You stone them. <laughs> right, right. It's not just that you stop listening to them. It's, it's that you get rid of them, all right? And that was, the, that, was the, that was the standard when it came to being a prophet of God. Because if a prophet's wrong, you know that they're not speaking for, for God. This is why you don't hear me say things like, God told me to tell you. Unless it's from scripture, right? Unless it's scripture and we're reading scripture, God said this thing and here, here's, here's what, what, what he said. Because this is an incredibly uh, important, important thing. And so Elijah is, is coming off of one of these greatest accomplishments that a prophet could ever, ever have because God used him to prove that God is God. And some, some of you know the story and you can read in 1 Kings chapter 18 what happens. Uh, Elijah essentially goes up against 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. They both set up altars. Uh, they let Baal and Asherah prophets go for, for a day. Elijah says, hey, pray to, pray to Baal. There's been three years of drought. Uh, Baal is, is the god of 
of fertility and agriculture. And so this is really God kind of proving that, that he's not God because they can't get Baal to show up, to burn up the sacrifice. They can't get rain to come, anything like that. Elijah's over here. He makes a simple prayer. God shows up, fire comes and consumes, and then rain follows shortly after. And so as you can imagine that in your life, I mean, there's no greater accomplishment that you could have, not that it was from Elijah's strength, but no greater accomplishment that you could have in your life, all right? It was meant to show who the one true God was, and it proved that Elijah was speaking the truth when he was pitted up against these 850 other prophets that were speaking lies. When it came to Elijah's turn, God shows up with his promises fulfilled. And so we pick up with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is after the greatest thing that's happened up to this point in his life. And, and here's what we find out. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, I mean, for me, when I think about Elijah and what, what, just, what just happened in his life, he came off of one of the best I told you so moments ever. I mean, this, this is amazing. I've, I've, been, I've been trying to tell you, here's the proof. Nobody, can, uh, nobody can, can go against this. I told you so. And despite being right and God having his back in a huge way, Elijah goes off, hides in the wilderness, despondent. He's ready to quit and he's ready to die. Now, if I had an evil queen send a bunch of assassins after me, I might go do the same thing. Okay? I'm not saying that he's, he's crazy uh, for, for going and hiding, but Elijah does more than that. He has an existential crisis, and he has a mental breakdown, not just because the queen is trying to send people to kill him, but he is just done. It doesn't matter that he's experienced this amazing thing that God has, has made happen, that he, is, he was there for. He was just ready to be done. He thought living was a waste. He just wanted to die. He didn't think anybody listened to him. It just didn't matter what had happened up to that point. And I hope, for some of us, this is something that, that is familiar to us, this kind of feeling. Where it doesn't matter what's been happening in our life, it doesn't matter what's been going on, there's something, there's a disconnect in our life between how we feel and maybe how we act or what's going, going along uh, in our lives. In fact, um, chances are that over the past year that a number of us have had some sort of depressive episode that maybe you haven't shared with anybody, maybe that you're still struggling with right now and wrestling through that. According to the World Health Organization, depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide and is a major contributor to the overall global burden of disease. I mean, this, this, this problem of getting inside of our own heads, not being sure of what voice we should be listening to, being told that whatever we feel and whatever we think is our truth and we pursue it, sometimes it doesn't lead us to a very good place in our lives. 
And we aren't doing a deep dive into depression this morning, but I, I just want to say, as a, as a, side, a side note, if you are in a place in your life where that's something that you're dealing with, please reach out to us. Please let us know. Uh, there, there are places um, and solutions that uh, we would refer, refer you to, two counseling agencies here in the area that I recommend highly, and we're happy to get that, that info uh, to you. And so make sure you let us know. Go to velocitychurch.info, um, and, and we will be happy to help, help out with that. This is where Elijah finds himself in life. And if you were to keep on reading 1 Kings chapter 19, here's God's response to Elijah. God feeds Elijah, he allows him to rest, and then he feeds him again and sends him to Mount Horeb, which happens to be a 40-day and 40-night journey away from where he was. And this was God's holy mountain. Uh, this, was, uh, this mountain is also referred to as Mount Sinai, and this is where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. And so God sends Elijah on this trip. He dwells in a cave, and it's, while he's there, God asks him this question, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? I think I know how I'd respond. You told me to come here. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Like, what, what's, what's going to happen? But I have to admit, this is one of those soul-deep foundational questions that's easy for me to ruminate about in the internal monologue of my mind. What am I? Why am I here? Like, what's going on? And, and beyond, just, beyond just purpose and meaning in life, but why, why am I here? And I, and I know I'm not the only one who thinks about these, these kinds of things. Maybe you haven't thought about it in the, those terms, what am I doing here? But maybe someone very close, something very close to something like, well, what about me? Important questions, but also important to recognize that the heart of those questions are very lonely. And they're only focused just on us. And, and sometimes that's exactly the problem is that when we ask those questions, sometimes it, like we're looking for the answers to come from within us, that, that it's on our shoulders, that we're the ones who have to produce the answer or the solution or the purpose behind that, that question. If I were to come up to you right now or, or earlier in the lobby or after church and say, what are you doing here? There are probably a couple of different things that would go through your mind. One, depending on how I said it, what are you doing here? You know, if I said it like that, it's like, get pretty defensive. Hey, buddy, look, look, I just, I just, came, just came to church. You might get introspective. Hey, what are, you, what are you doing here? You know, if I asked it, maybe in a better tone. What are you doing here? You might get a little introspective. But most of us would feel some kind of pressure to come up with a good reason for our presence. And sometimes we take that a lot further in our life. You know, it's not a surface level thing in, 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 our, thought, in our thought life. Why our presence as an individual is necessary or worthwhile. And depending on where you are in your thought life and how healthy that is, it could make you feel pretty alone. Elijah was not in a good place, and when God asks him this question, he doesn't miss a beat with his answer in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And Elijah's just being honest, and there's nothing wrong with that. God wants us to be honest with him in, in our thought life and in our prayer life and how we talk to him and think about our life. But he tells God, look, I've done everything I can do here. I'm just done. I can't take a break. I'm the only one left who follows you and the rulers of the day are actively seeking to murder me. And when I becomes the operative term in our thought life and how we think about what's going on in our life, 
And what Elijah is really just saying is something that many of us have felt many times, or at least I know I have many times in my life, is he's just simply saying, I am alone in this. And it'd be pretty easy to read this story in a whiny voice, you know, kind of be dispassionate and not be empathetic in this. Read it in a whiny voice and pass this off as a pity party. Come on, Elijah, you just experienced this amazing thing, you know, 40, 40 41 days in the past. And, and you know, if, if we just wrote this off and God would have been completely justified in doing so, he could have said, Elijah, you're an idiot. You know, don't you remember what just happened and I've fed you and I've taken care of you during all this time? God tells Elijah to go stand at the entrance of the cave. And God causes this windstorm. So if you keep reading through First, First Kings chapter 19, God causes this great windstorm to show up, but it is very specific. The text says that God was not in the windstorm. And then God causes an earthquake to show up. And very specifically, the text says that God was not in the earthquake. His presence was not there. God causes fire to come up. And very specifically, the text says God's presence was not there. And then Elijah hears a low whisper. And he covers his face because he knows then God's presence is near. And God asks again, why are you here? Elijah repeats himself, unfortunately. He hasn't quite figured out what God is trying to teach him. First Kings chapter 19, verse 14 is a carbon copy of First Kings 19, verse 10. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the people of Israel have forsaken you, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God has reminded Elijah of who he is. God is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is with him. And yeah, Elijah still has the same exact response, but I feel like I'm alone in this. He's stuck in this thought because he's unhappy, he's depressed, he's lonely, and life isn't going his way, so he feels like he's alone. And the, for those of you who can relate to wrestling with this, it is a difficult thing to have the thought, I am alone, in our heads, ba bouncing around. But it is a thought that is always wrong, categorically untrue, every single time it pops up. And God brought Elijah to a place that was so far away from everything that was tempting him to feel this way so that he could experience the presence of God even though he wasn't feeling it in the moment. I'm sure at some point Elijah thought that the last thing that he needed was a 40-day journey by himself to Mount Horeb to hang out in a cave. And he probably didn't understand it until he did it and then ultimately was reminded of the truth that God is wanting him to communicate as a prophet, that God is with us. And there is never a time in our life where that is not true. There's this really simple song from a band named Waterdeep, which I, most of you probably have never, never heard of them. They're, they're an old school. I'm making eye contact with my wife because she can, well, anyway, we have uh, just things, you know, romantic things, I guess, uh, that none of you care about. See, this is where those moments in my head, I'm like, Rob, why did you even go there and bring that up? <laughs> but there's this really simple song chorus that's been stuck in my head for years. And it goes like this. Though I feel, I'm not going to sing for you. I can sing, but I'm just, I'm keeping that card in my back pocket. I don't know when I'm going to break it out, but I'm, I'm, I'm hiding it. Renee's laughing. Though I feel alone, I am never alone. You're with me. Oh, my Lord. And there are moments in my life, just from this, it's a very simple song. I put it up on the screen. You, you can see the, the couple verses. It's very short, but that chorus, I mean, there are times in my life where that, that is just on, it just shows up. And that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit working. But it just shows up in the back of my head, and it's just on repeat. Though I feel alone, I am never alone. You are with me, oh, my Lord. And this is the truth 
that Elijah is struggling with that he just can't, he, he can't get there because he's got himself in the way. And he's thinking, I, I am alone. And yet this, this truth that God wants Elijah to contend with, to understand, to wrestle with is that actually he's, he's never alone because he is with us. It's such a precious reminder to me often in my life. And I, I confess that somewhat embarrassingly, because I, I have never experienced anything remotely close to what Elijah has in his life, but somewhat embarrassingly, I, I confess that sometimes I imagine that I can kind of understand a little bit of what Elijah feels like in this moment. And yet it couldn't be further from the truth. Not only, like every single one of us, do we all have family and friends who love us, God himself has never left us. He's never left me. He's never forsaken me. And this is what Elijah couldn't contend with in his heart and mind and soul because he couldn't get himself out of the way. He couldn't get his thought life out of the way. Jesus is called the fulfillment of the prophecy of Emmanuel, which means God with us. As disciples of Jesus, when we were baptized in his name, we're promised the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit as our counselor, as our helper, as our advocate. Even before that, none of us have lived a life separate from the existence of God's goodness at work in this world. So none of us, even before becoming disciples of Jesus, none of us have experienced life truly what it would be like without God's, God's presence. Elijah is done here, but God isn't. So here's God's response to remind him of all of this. This is 1 Kings, just the end of the chapter, verses 15 through 18. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. And maybe some of these things kind of seem like, a, like an odd response in the midst of this. I mean, God doesn't like, uh, sometimes I, I want God to kind of go in and be like, look, let me explain to you why you're being an idiot here, Elijah. You know, because I, I, I know sometimes I need those explanations in, in, in my life. But rather than God saying, hey, you didn't do, you haven't done anything here. I've, I, the whole time I've been with you, I have worked through you, I've caused these things to happen. You're worthless outside of me. You know, for you to think that you've been alone all this time, well, how great of an insult that is to God, right? But God didn't go any, anywhere, even though he'd have been anywhere near that, even though he'd been completely justified in doing so. God tells Elijah what is about to happen in his life. And he tells him his plan and in turn tells Elijah his own part in it. By the way, he's done the same for us through his word. He tells him exactly how Ahab and his family will be punished for rejecting God. And besides that, Elijah says, hey, I'm the only one left who believes you. I'm the only one who cares about who you are and, and teaching people that you are with us and we should follow you. And God said, actually, there's 7,000 other people that are right there that have not rejected me or not forsaken me. And, and, and they, they're with you too. In fact, why don't you go spend some time with him? And that's where he sends Elijah off to, to find Elisha. God doesn't just give Elijah a renewed sense of purpose. He also assures Elijah that the future must assure, most assuredly does not rest on Elijah's shoulders. And that can be one of the most comforting things. If we allow it, that can be one of the most comforting things that God shares with us. That God's work in our lives assures us that we will never have to wrestle with life alone. And here, here's the thing, when we wrestle with God on this, God isn't going to argue with us. 
he, he's not going to sit around. He's not, just like he didn't with Elijah, he's not going to sit around. He's like, oh, you, well, you have some good points, but consider, consider this. I mean, that's, that's not going to be God's approach with us. He isn't going to argue with us. He's simply going to speak truth and empower us to seek it. And that's what he's done through, through the Bible. That is what he does with Elijah as he struggles to see beyond himself. From where Elijah was struggling to believe that he was not alone, God placed him on a direct path to be with the very people God was going to work through Elijah in the ripple effect that would take the nation of Israel to the birth of Jesus, which culminated with the presence of God being with us and available for every single one of us. As disciples of Jesus, we're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this is one of the most significant things that we deal with when we wrestle with God, getting ourselves, getting our own minds and how they're messed up out of the way so we can contend with who God is and what he has to say. And when we're at our lowest or we're at our loneliness, the most important things that we can do are actually is believe God's word and what he says. And that means that we need to know it and be in it and reading it and studying it. And two is to put those words into practice with fellow believers. You might not feel like God is with you in moments in your life, but you can experience God's presence with you despite that. We're not meant to wrestle alone, and with God, we never will. Let's pray. God, so often we need to be reminded of what's true in our lives. I, I know I do. And, and so much of what we do as we read your word and we reread your word and we study it together and we come together and worship, even on a Sunday morning where you are our audience, you are where our focus is, that, that we just simply need to be reminded of, of what's true. There's so many other distractions in our life. Even the greatest accomplishments that we have in our life don't bring us the sense of satisfaction, the fulfillment of the desires of what we need. And that is simply that you are with us. As much as we might wrestle with feeling like we're alone, uh, or whether physically or relationally alone, or just alone in, in our ideas or opinions or, or thoughts, whatever, whatever might be going on in our lives, and in, in the things that we're feeling alone, like we're, we're dealing with something that, that even though we might feel that way, it's, it's not true, and that, that you have proven yourself and your presence time and time again to so many, to all of your followers, that you've promised your presence to always be with us continually through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God, we just, we just ask for help to be reminded of that in those moments, that you give us the strength and the courage that we need to be with your people, to experience with fellow believers, your, your presence continue, continually in our lives and how you lead us on a path consistently that when we follow your word, when we live the way of Jesus, that we constantly come into contact with, with your presence in our lives. God, we also praise you for this. We praise you for uh, this sometimes intangible um, existential, uh, you know, way in which we, we can't hardly express in our thoughts and our deepest needs and our deepest desires that, that you fulfill through a relationship with you. God, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.